Let's give attention now to the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and may be found on page 960 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And your your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Several weeks ago, we started learning about prayer through a study of the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. And so today is our fourth and final installment in this series on why are we struggling with prayer. Even we who love Christ and who know about prayer and who have been told about the many ways God answers prayer, many of us still struggle with prayer. It's not a, it's not a, a delight for a lot of us. It's not a, a blessing. Instead, of, it's a burden for some um, people of, of God's family. And so I have suggested that there are several reasons why this might be true. If you're struggling with prayer, if you don't enjoy prayer or don't pray very much, the first week of our study, we learned that it might be because your God is too distant. That is, you believe that God is too remote, too far removed for you. And he doesn't really care about you and your needs. The second week, I suggested it might be because your prayers are too complicated. You're making prayer harder than it should be. Last week, if you were here, I suggested that you might be struggling with prayer because your desires are too weak. That is, you're a little embarrassed to be able to go to the throne of grace and tell God your desires and your wants. Well, today, if you haven't found your reason why you struggle with prayer yet, maybe it's this one. Today, what I want to suggest is that some Christians struggle with prayer because their, de- their worries are too many. What I mean by that is that you worry too much. <laughs> You're worrying instead of praying. So I want to talk with you today about worry. And I want to say three things. First, what is worry? Secondly, why does Jesus in this passage say not to do it? And thirdly, how can you deal with your worries? So what is it? Why is it bad? And what can you do about it? Pretty simple plan. Let's start with understanding what worry is. What is worry? Worry is anxiety. That's a good synonym for worry. It's repetitive fretting about something that happened in the past or something that you fear is going to happen in the future. And and the thing about worry is you can't stop those thoughts. 
They just go recurring, recurring, recurring. they repetitive. Worry is what you're doing when you say things to yourself like, what if, or if only. See, those are clues that you're worrying. Now, some of you might want to make the argument that there is such a thing as a good worry. But I'm not willing to go there. I'm going to say that if you want to talk about good worry, let's call it something, but don't call it worry. At least not for today's purpose. Let's call it concern, maybe, or caring. It's good to care about things. It's good to be concerned about things. It's not good to worry about them. Caring is productive. That's what makes it different from worry. Caring leads to action. If you're concerned about something, it means that you can come up with a to-do list and you can attack it and you can do something about it. Caring is specific and it's constructive. Like I might want to say that I care about the fact that there is a strange grinding noise coming out from under the hood of one of our cars. I care about that. I'm concerned about that. And my concern about it is going to lead me to take it to Tuffy as soon as I can so that we can get something done about it. That's not worry. That's concern. And that's constructive. And that's good. And I want you to hear this because this could be a whole nother sermon. Some of you don't care about something that you should be caring deeply about. So don't let a sermon on worry excuse you from legitimate concern about getting on about something. Finding that job, you know, doing that family budget, talking to that person. Those are cares, those are concerns, and that's something that is good to do. But worry is not a good thing, and you'll find out why in just a little while. Worry is non-productive. That's the difference. Worry is where you feel stuck. You're paralyzed. You don't know what to do. You feel helpless. You feel trapped. It's where you're consumed by thoughts of all the things that go wrong, that could go wrong. Like, for example, if I obsess about that grinding noise that's coming out from under the hood of our car, I would say things like, okay, what if the car breaks down tomorrow and I don't know what to do and where I'm I'm at and where I'm going to take the car? What? How much is it going to cost me? What if it costs me more than the car's worth? Which is entirely possible. What will I do then? Where will I come up with the money? This always happens to me. Right when I get uh, caught up with my bills, my cars break down. If only I traded that car away when I had the opportunity, I wouldn't be in this mess. You see, that's where worry takes you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you were worrying about something on your way to church today. See, worry is very, very consuming. Now, one thing our text says is that there's plenty to worry about. You notice that Jesus does legitimize the fact that there are things in the world that are troublesome. There are things that are wrong and that need to be addressed. Look at verse 34. The second half of the verse, Jesus says, each day has enough trouble of its own. So that's a fact. We would all acknowledge that Jesus is correct there. Each day has a lot of trouble. And so we could go in the direction of worry. But Jesus says not to go there. Look at verse 25. The very first verse that Lane read says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, or about that noise under the hood, we might say, or about your kids at college or about whether you're going to get laid off, or about when somebody is ever going to ask you out, 
or if you're ever going to get married or about how much money you're going to have when you retire. Jesus says, whatever you would put in the blank there, don't do it. Don't worry about that. Be concerned? Yes. Take action? Of course. But don't spend your time and energy sinfully worrying about them. And so that leads us to our second point. Why? Why does Jesus say not to do it? What's bad about worry? And I want to give you the five reasons that are right here in the text. I'm simply going to list them, and you can go back over them and study them a little more carefully on your own. Five reasons Jesus gives us why worry is not good. Number one, he says because there are things in life that are a lot more important than the things you're worrying about. And you should be attending to those things. Do you see that? It's in the second half of verse 25. Right after Jesus says not to worry, he goes on to say, isn't life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know you think it's imperative to have a perfect-looking house, but isn't it more important that you and your husband take a walk together and talk about your day? That's just an example. Or he might say, I know that you want to be successful, but isn't it more important that you be nurturing your family life than working 60 hours a week? So Jesus is saying there are a lot more things that are important than the things you're worried about. So stop it. Secondly, why stop worrying? Because worry doesn't work. Worry doesn't work. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? I love what Vance Havner said. He said, Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. That's right. Now, I know a lot of you think worrying helps you. Worrying prepares you for something. It it avoids surprises or something like that. But Jesus says, no, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't help you. It's destructive. Third reason why not to worry, because God is going to take care of you. That's why. Very clear promise. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. Store away in barns. And yet, look at it. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they? Jesus affirms the fact that we need food. He's not, you know, saying that's awful to think about it. He's he's affirming that we need clothes. But in verse 32, he says, But your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And the point is, He's your heavenly Father. He's a good Father who provides for His children. The same God that feeds the birds and dresses the lilies will be sure to provide your needs. The fourth reason why it's bad to worry is that worry is what non-Christians do. Worry is what non-Christians do. You don't want to be like or act like or think like a non-Christian if you're a believer in Jesus. Look at verse 32. Jesus says that the pagans run after all these things. See, he's saying if there's anyone who should worry, it's the non-Christian who doesn't know the things that you know. But if you are preoccupied about some failure in your past, if you're anxious about something that you think is going to happen tomorrow, then Jesus would have you realize that you're thinking like an unbeliever. You're thinking like someone who does not believe that there is a God in heaven who cares deeply about you. 
you are not you are thinking about like a like a person who does not believe that there's a sovereign God in control of all things. You're acting and thinking like somebody who does not believe that a father has promised to provide for your needs, including forgiveness of past misdeeds. See, Jesus wants you to understand that at the heart of worry is unbelief. And that's what the non-Christian is characterized by, unbelief. I love how Tim Keller put it one time. He said that worry is a form of living without reference to God. He says it's the frustrated aspiration to omnipotence. Now that's a mouthful. It's the frustrated aspiration to omnipotence. What he's communicating there is that when you worry, you are assuming the place of God. You're trying to take over for God. You're saying... I've got the right to call the shots because I'm not all that sure that God is going to get it right. Unbelief. That is why Jesus says in verse 30 that if you worry, you're a person of little faith. Worry is evidence, he says, of little faith. It's forgetting God. And so let's don't be kind to the sin of worry. Let's don't excuse ourselves so quickly. Worry is the sin of forgetting God. And that's what makes it so wicked. And yet it's pretty unbelievable that that's one of the sins that we Christians most often commit. So if you're worried today, repent. Fifth and finally, and this one is even... If it could become more insidious than that one, I've got this one more for you. Why not worry? Because worry is a symptom of idolatry. Let's go even deeper than unbelief. At the bottom, at the root level of worry is idolatry. And you see this in verse 33 where Jesus says, very familiar verse to many of us, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Notice those first two words, seek first. See, Jesus is putting something, a priority on something here. I want to show you what Luke, the gospel writer Luke, has told us about what Jesus said. This is Luke's version of of a similar sermon that Jesus gave, and there's a little different wording here I want to point out to you. He says, in Luke's version, it says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. I want you to notice the first phrase of what Luke says here, uh, what what words Luke puts in Jesus' mouth. Do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. See, what worry is, is an evidence that you've set your heart on something besides God. Worry comes from setting your affections on something instead of God. It's really putting something above or beside or even before God in your heart. And that reminded me, as I thought about that, of the first of the Ten Commandments. Remember what God said through Moses, you shall have no other gods, what, before me. 
So when you set your heart on something and you begin to con- be consumed by it and obsess about it, it shows that you are setting your heart on something before God. And Jesus is asking you here, what do you seek first in life? What altar do you bow down before? What God, little g, are you willing to sacrifice everything for in order to have its favor? See, when you begin to answer those questions, you're getting at the heart, at the real bottom of worry. You're looking at your idol. If your God or your idol is security, for example, no wonder you're worried about your retirement funds. If your God is looking good, no wonder you're so worried about your weight. If your God is success, no wonder you're working so hard. If your God is your children, no wonder you can't sleep at night because you're so worried about how they're going to turn out. Now, it's not that security and looking good and succeeding and having great kids are bad goals. They're not. They're great goals. The problem is that you're seeking them first. And that's why you're worried about them. You think... If you're a worrier, you think that happiness comes from having things, accomplishing something, getting people's attention, being first in line, having a husband or a wife or a hot date, making a lot of money, having great kids, whatever it might happen to be. And Jesus says in this passage, no, happiness comes from a relationship with God, period. Put him first and you'll find what you're looking for. Put God first and everything else will fall into line. So what we've learned is five reasons why Jesus says worry is a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Now the question is how to deal with it. What do you do with your worries? Well, the world has come up with a lot of techniques to help you, and they're not bad. I mean, one of the things that you'll hear people in the world say about worry is to simply shift your attention to some other more pleasant topic. You know, if you're worrying about something, start thinking about a day at the beach or whatever might look good to you. Well, not bad advice. It just doesn't get to the real meat of the problem. I read an interesting solution to worry online. They suggested that you schedule a time to worry. So if you're worried right now, you schedule, okay, I'm going to wait and worry at 6 o'clock tonight. When 6 o'clock arrives, you worry for 15 or 20 minutes and you stop it. Okay, I, I I guess I get it. But again, that's just not the real solution. No, the Bible offers a different treatment for your worries. The Bible says to pray them. Pray your worries. If you were here last week, you remember I told you to pray your desires and it will help you pray? Well, now here's a second key to becoming a person of prayer. Pray your worries. Your worries will help you to pray. In fact, I go so far as to say your worries are God's invitation to you to be a person of prayer. Notice I said pray your worries, not pray your worries away. Now, there's a subtle but important difference there. My experience is that simply by praying about something I'm worried about, they don't, you know, poof, disappear. Maybe they do. That'd be a blessing But more often than not, in my case, I find that I have to pray my worries again and again and again. Because the real key here is not that the worries simply go away and disappear. 
but that what you are experiencing with your worries is fellowship with God, a God who is your Father, who loves you and cares for you. See, God doesn't want you to just clean up your act and get rid of your worries and then pray. He wants you to come to Him and pray your worries so that you have a relationship with Him. I want you to look with me. Uh, You can leave Matthew and turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 51 for a moment. show you something that I find very interesting. Psalm 51. You know that David, King David, wrote many of the Psalms. And uh, many of the Psalms have a title. And by looking at the title, you get a little clue as to what might have been going on when David wrote that particular Psalm. Notice the title to Psalm 51. It says that it was written by David after the prophet Nathan came to him when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now David had something to worry about, didn't he? (laughs) Whether God was going to forgive him or not. But what did David do with his worry? He prayed his worry. That's what Psalm 51 is. He is praying his worry. Notice the title to Psalm 52, right next to there. This was written when David was on the run away from King Saul. And it says that, This one, Psalm 52, was written when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. In other words, this guy named Doeg was telling on David. He was like a spy for Saul. David had a lot to worry about, didn't he? Saul was after him. He was going to kill him. What did David do with his worry? He prayed it. That's what Psalm 52 is. Look at Psalm 54. The title says that this was written by David when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, Is not David hiding among us? Again, David had something to worry about. Oh, I'm going to be found out. But he prayed his worry, and that's what Psalm 54 is. Psalm 56 has a title. It says that it was written by David when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. But he prayed his worry. Psalm 57. Notice the title. It says that this was written by David when he had fled from Saul into the cave. But he prayed his worry. And finally, Psalm 59. The title says that it was written by David when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. You get the point. David had worry after worry, potential worry after potential worry. But what did he do? He prayed his worry. And God has been so good as to give us a permanent record of the prayers of David as he prayed his worries. See, David knew something that you and I often forget, and that is that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who cares about us, and has provided, or rather has promised to provide us everything we need. question to you is, how do we know that? How do we know that God is our Father and does love us and has provided everything we need? Well, we know it because He has rescued us from the worst enemy there ever was, namely our sin, ourselves, Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, became one of us, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, died. That's what this was all about. How do you know that you don't have to worry? Just go back to the table. The body and blood of the Lord are sufficient proof that God is a God who takes care of his own. Jesus died the death you deserve to die. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He rose again from the dead that God might justify you and declare you righteous. Therefore, in light of all that truth, you can do what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 say to do. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your worries be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, next time you want to spend a few minutes in prayer, what we've learned the last two weeks are these two lessons. If you don't know what to pray, say to yourself, what are my desires? I'll pray my desires to God. And what are my worries? I'll pray my worries to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what we've learned over these four weeks about prayer. Thank you that you've been so practical. Thank you that Jesus taught us to pray with a very simple prayer, a pattern for prayer. And so, Father, now that we've learned these things, help us to do them. Father, may we not be people who look at your word and turn away and our lives are unchanged, but rather help us to look into your word, be transformed by the good news of Christ, and live a different kind of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.